0: We thank you that it is true that you are the King of Kings. And so tonight, help that truth to shape our hearts because we know from a head knowledge, like we know that you are the King of Kings, but help us to be reshaped in that truth here tonight. And Father, I pray for these kids that you will guide them, guide their hearts, help them to know you on a deeper level, help them to just see you for who you are more clearly. And Father, continue this movement that you've started in them. We love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Kids, you're dismissed. Have a great time. Friends, good evening. How we doing? Good. It's a beautiful night, isn't it? We are uh, in the last week of our hard questions series, and I had planned to tonight just answer a bunch of questions um, just to kind of process through to conclude the series. And what happened, I just didn't see coming, which is I got exactly zero questions So the question I was faced with is, what do you talk about with the congregation that already has the answers? (laughs) So that was the struggle this week, right? Um, Here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about, I mean, if you had to be summed up by something, right? You always think about that in your life. You think, okay, what am I going to be summed up by? And I think for us to to answer that question as Grace Meadows Church, man, that's really helpful because that will form some things. That will inform how we go about our business, right? What we do on the day-to-day. And, and the reality is that one day there will no longer be a Grace Meadows Church. That's just the reality. And all you really get when it comes down to it is a summation that's typically pretty quick, I mean, you think even some of the great presidents of our past, right? You take Abraham Lincoln. There was a lot to him, but you pretty much sum him up in one sentence. He was a great liberator. That's what he's known as. Or George Washington. He was a man with great humility. He, he, was, um, he was able to allow other people to come to the table, right? He was very humble. And the same is true with organizations. The same is true with churches. Churches will be known by something, Sometimes it's by an individual. Sometimes it's by a movement. Sometimes it's by a situation. And, and here at Grace Meadows, I, I think that uh, we've put some systems in place that really uh, prevent it from being about an individual, which I think is a really good thing. Um, we also want to maybe be a part of movements at times. I think if, if it's God-honoring and stuff like that, like it's okay to do that, but we don't want to be defined by a movement, so the question we want to answer here tonight is, what do we want to be defined by? Like, how do we want to be summed up? When there is no more Grace Meadows Church, how do we want to be summed up? Well, I think to answer that question, it would be wise for us to go back to the beginning, go back to the early church and see what they were defined by. Um, I read this a little over a year ago, but uh, as long as I'm here, you'll, you'll hear this from time to time because it's just so powerful. About 90 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, we are now removed from any apostles or any eyewitnesses to Jesus. Um, We don't really have many well-known Christians, or really any well-known Christians of this time period. We're about 120 A.D. But the Caesar at the time, Caesar Hadrian, he's so curious about these Christians because he keeps killing them. And every time he kills one, like five more pop out of nowhere. I mean, this Christian movement is growing at a rapid rate. And so he's curious, what is the deal with this Christian faith, this Christian movement? So he gets a guy named Aristides, and he says, go check out this Christian movement. I want to know what's going on here. Why is this so attractive? Why is this growing like crazy? All this stuff, right? Well, Aristides will go, and he will... Uh, spend time with the Christians, and he'll spend time with other groups of people, and he reports this back here. He says, essentially, Christians are different. He says, you know, I have spent time with all these different groups of people, but Christians are different, and here's in part what he says. If you want to find kind of the whole uh, thing that he he talks about, you can find that on the web. The web? Is that? Is that what we say now? I don't think so. kind of dating myself a little bit with that. What would be better? Google? Is that... I don't know. Let's move on. <laughs> Thank you, Mark. I appreciate the support, I think. Now, he says this in part. He says, They love one another, and from widows they do not turn away their esteem, and they deliver the orphan from him who treats him harshly, and he who has gives to him who has not without boasting. And when they see a stranger, they take him into their homes, and they rejoice Over him as a very brother, for they do not call them brethren after the flesh, but brethren after the Spirit and in God. And whenever one of their poor passes from the world, each one of them, according to his ability, gives heed to him and carefully sees to his burial. And if they hear that one of their number is imprisoned or afflicted on account of the name of their Messiah, all of them anxiously minister to his necessity. And if it is possible to redeem him, they set him free. Now, listen to this. And if there is among them any that is poor and needy, and if they have no spare food, they fast two or three days in order to supply to the needy their lack of food. They observe the precepts of their Messiah with much care, living justly and soberly, just as their Lord God commanded them. Every morning and every hour they give thanks and praise to God for his loving kindness towards them. So this letter would begin circulating all over Roman culture, and Roman culture would begin to sum up the Christians with this statement. Behold how they love each other. Behold how they love each other. And being defined by their love, they would begin to win over the Roman culture so much that the most brutal people probably in the history of the world at this point in terms of brutality would become a Christian nation. And it was all about this term, behold, how they love one another. And I guess for us, man, sometimes we think we got to get fancy, right? I mean, we think, you know, we know love, right? We, we, love is so important. But let's package this other thing with it, or this other thing, or this other thing. But man, what would it look like for us to have such a belief in that truth that love is what will shape our culture if we'll just believe it? So we ask that question again. What do we want to be summed up by? Is it, behold, how they love each other, or is it something else? Anything else. Because that's where our focus ought to be. Now, I'd like to spend the rest of our time just kind of focusing on what that looks like. And I think a lot of times you can hear a message like this, you can read the scriptures, you can hear about love, and you say, okay, i got to go and be more loving now. And I think that's actually kind of dangerous, really, because we don't actually have a capacity to love. Love is not natural to us. Now, desire certainly is natural to us. And we talked a couple weeks ago about the difference between love and desire. And, And I'd like to refresh us because you may not have been paying attention because there was a bird swirling around that night if you were here. But the idea being that we don't love ice cream. We want to eat ice cream. That's different. We desire it. And I think a lot of our issues come whenever we start conflating those two terms, desire and love. And, you know, I think that's a, that's a big danger for us. And so for us, we've got to separate those things out. And the most important thing that we can do is subordinate our desires to love. Subordinate our desires to love. Now, another important thing to note, we cannot, we cannot have love in our possession in terms of it being us that have it. Now, God will give it to us on loan, but we can never have it. Colossians three fourteen says this. It says, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So what he's saying is it is something that we can put on, that we can have with us, but it's never coming from us. And so that's the battle as Christians, isn't it? That our desires come naturally. I mean, we have desires by the time we're out of the womb, don't we? Probably before that. And we make those desires known pretty quickly. And when we don't have those desires, we get upset, don't we? But in the life of the Christian, we want to promote love and demote desire. And so over time, we want to be rebuilt in this love that God gives to us on loan and reject the things, or not necessarily even reject the things, but demote the things that we desire. It's so important for us as Christians. Joshua 1.8 says this. says, keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. So here's what it's saying. We know that we don't just have the book of the law on our hearts, that we have to meditate and be remade in these things. And so this is a great parallel, I think, to love and desire. For us to say, look, we've got to meditate in love so that it can kind of remake us and reform us because we've been formed for so long under our desires that we've got to focus and meditate time and time again so that love is what takes the top spot in our lives. And y'all, we should expect that when we demote desire, desire's going to have a fit, isn't it? I mean, I thought of an example this week of, and I wouldn't do this, but this is just an example. If I decided that I was just going to give up extra sugar, because I felt like, man, that would really benefit my family, like for me to be here longer, then about two days in, that donut is going to be looking real good. And that's how it is with desire. That's how it is with anything, right, that we desire. If we start to reject it, those desires will really come to the forefront. But if we can continue to meditate on the book of the law, to meditate on the things that we know are good, despite how we feel. Despite our desires, man, we'll start to be remade in love. It's so important that we can't just muster it up. I mean, I don't know how many times in my life I've tried to just say, okay, when it comes down to time, I'm just going to be more loving. And what happens? You guys can probably testify to this too. Your kid goes crazy or your spouse does something that you don't like and bam, right? Because it's not in us. It's not in us. It's not natural to us. It's something we have to be remade in. See, putting ourselves under love is so important. It's opening ourselves up to receiving His love in our lives. And I think a big battle for us is just to say, God, how can I position myself so that love can make its way into my life? And I think a big part of that is putting our desires under love. Another way to say it is we have got to want what we don't want so that it will become what we do want. We've got to want what we don't want so that it will become what we do want. So in the morning when we wake up and we say, man, I'm just tired today. I don't really feel like digging in the Word. We do what? We say, man, I'm, I'm, I'm going to reject that, and, and I want to do the thing that I don't want to do so that one day it will become just the thing that I want to do. See, I think that that our love and desires hopefully over time will match up a bit more. And as we reject our own desires and we uh, put it under love, then what will happen is we'll see those two things over time hopefully become shaped together. Uh, Great example of this, no, it's not a great example, it's just an example of this, is um, Morgan's grandfather told me right after we got married, he said, uh, Dallas, he said, drink coffee black for a week and you'll do it the rest of your life. And I thought, well, that sounds gross, but I'll, sure, I'll give it a shot, right? And so, like four days in, I'm just, you know, holding my nose, drinking the coffee, you know. But by about the sixth day, I said, you know what, actually, I, I kind of like this. This is good. And so for 11 years now, I've drank my coffee black, and it's this idea. Somebody's excited about that, way too excited about that. I don't know. Somebody's got some strong feelings about strong coffee. But yeah, that's that idea, right? That, that over time, if we reject the thing that we want and focus on the thing that we don't want, it will become the thing that we do want. And a great example of this, too, is when um, there's people in this church, man, who they'll serve and they'll serve and they'll serve. And I think by the time they're done serving, they're like, oh, man, I'm so tired. You know, that's such a responsibility. But what I've found is a lot of these people will say, man, can you believe we get to do this? Can you believe we get to serve? Can you believe that this is our life? Right? It's this idea that, that man, we start to love Like our desires and our love start to match up because over time that changes in our hearts. I'm sure for a while it was a duty, it was a responsibility, it was pushing ourselves. But more and more it becomes something that we also desire. Now the second thing is that we've got to learn to trust that love is enough. Man, another way to say this is that we've got to put our faith in love. Dallas Willard has a definition of faith that I think is far superior to my own definition. He says, faith is when you are ready to act as though something were true. So we all have faith in many different things because we act based on our faith in those things. So even just right now, you have faith in the chair you're sitting in because you're relaxed and comfortable in them. Some of you may be too comfortable in that chair you got so much confidence in it. But that's the idea, right? And I think we can have that kind of confidence, that kind of faith in love. I mean, if we do truly see that that people were changed, that the culture was changed by this idea of behold how they love each other, then man, if that's at the top of our confidence list, if that's at the top of our faith, then we'll start to see change over time. We'll start to shape everything that we do around love. And I got to be honest. Sometimes, especially um, I've seen in church leadership, it's like, man, yeah, we know that's true, but but we really got to force it with other things. You know, we've got to we got to preach the best message. We got to make these sticky statements, and we got to you know have great illustrations and be funny and all this stuff so that we can really relate to people and we can make it work. But but that's saying that we don't really trust that love is enough it's not that we don't try to do those things and explore how to communicate better. It's just that everything sits under the umbrella of love. And so for us, maybe we found that to be true too. Maybe there's conversations with people that we've had. And maybe we feel like, man, if I just say the right thing, then things will work out. And then you leave there and things don't work out. And you think, man, there must have been something that I've done or said or I didn't say the right thing. But for us, if we just put love at the hierarchy, man, then we trust that God's going to work it out, that everything's going to be okay because everything is sitting under love. Do we believe here tonight that that's enough? Uh, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 13 together. Paul knew the dangers of this way of thinking. The Corinthian church is, they're meeting up together and they're, you know, they're, they're talking over each other and all this stuff because they think that man, my gifts are so important and i got to make those be known and all this stuff. And, and Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 13. You guys have probably heard this. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. So this is not talking so much about speaking in tongues, but talking about articulate speech. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves is like, do we put... So much stock in other things other than love, like articulate speech. And you know, Paul himself, it's kind of funny, because Paul is like one of, if not the most influential Christians of all time, and yet evidently he was a terrible speaker. I mean, Second Corinthians 10.10 says this, it says, For some say his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person he is unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. It's like, okay, man, you know, try not to spare his feelings or anything, right? I mean, just lay it out there, right? But here's the point. You may be here tonight, and you may not have a teaching gift, or you may not have articulate speech, or you may not have the most intelligence, or you may not have blank, but we can all set ourselves up to receive God's love and let love rule over our lives. And that's the thing that's going to make the most change anyway. So for us, what do we value? What is at the top spot in our hearts, because if love is at the top spot, then all the insecurities and all the things of saying, man, I just don't measure up, I'm just not good enough, you know, somebody's always a better speaker here, and you know, somebody's better at this, and all these things, but we come away saying, you know what, if love is the greatest thing, I can be remade in the love of Jesus, and that will not only change my life, but change the culture, because that is the most important thing. I think a lot of us go our whole lives just worried about all these different things, and it just doesn't matter. To Paul, man, love was the big picture. I mean, love was the big picture. Love was the small picture. Love was the picture. It was everything to him. And that can be true for us, too, that love is everything. Everything centers around love. Now, again, pay attention to what he says. He says, about having love, not to, just, not to just love, but to have love, to receive it from him. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Nothing. I mean, tonight, do we, do we realize that love can take the top spot, and not only take the top spot, but handle it, right, that, that, that it can handle it, and not just the top spot, but the entire list, everything. I mean, if we are defined by love, then, man, that's everything. There's no lack. If we have love, we have everything. Everything. If we can subordinate our desires under love and we have faith in love to take that top spot, we are positioning ourselves to be put under his love and we're ready to receive his love and impart it into others. Now, before we get back into worship, I'd love to read from 1 John 4. This is 9 through 12. And this is how God has loved us. It says this, This is how God showed his love among us. Y'all, I know that this is a very simple message, but is it possible that we just need to continue coming back to simple? I mean, I hope that we as Grace Meadows Church never do, quote-unquote, grow past this passage right here. I mean, I think there's a temptation. I think the enemy wants to tempt us to say, no, no, you got to know more. you got to get deeper. And, And getting deeper in our theology and things is so important and so good. But at the top of the list the most important thing will always be love. And I want us to be a church that continues to receive this love from God and extend it to others. Man, wouldn't it be great if when it's all said and done and there's no more Grace Meadows Church that we're just remembered as, man, behold how they loved each other. I mean, there were so many times where somebody just didn't have food but then somebody else didn't have extra food but they just fasted so that this other person could eat or how about the fact that that in their community there were no more orphans because this church just cared for all of them and if there was a widow or a widower man they were just right there saying I got your back man. everything's going to be okay we're here for you We're going to radically, radically love you. And they never, you know, and they never just, they never boasted about anything either. You know, they would just radically love others, and they just never needed anybody else to know about it all this time. All they wanted to do was just impart this love that they had received from such a good and gracious Savior, and they just wanted to extend it to other people. And and that's all they wanted. I mean, nothing else. They didn't need anything else for themselves. They, didn't, they, they just subordinated their desires so low that they just said, let love remake me, and what does love require of me today? And through it all, every day, in every hour of every day, they just said, God, thank you so much for your loving kindness over my life. Man, if we're focused on that, this is a life well lived. Let's pray together. Father, help that to be true in our lives. Father, help us to be remade in your loving kindness towards us, because you've been so good to us. Remind us of your love. Remind us of your grace. Remind us of your mercy. And when the enemy tempts us by saying, you know what, you you don't measure up in this area, or surely God will use somebody else, help us to see that love is enough, and that you've given us your love, and help us to be remade in that love. So that when it's all said and done, man, we can just say, God, remake us in your love because that is enough. That is enough for us as Grace Meadows Church. We love you a lot. In Jesus' name, amen. The altars are open. If you need somebody to pray with, I'd love to do that. Let's stand and worship.